It was a bit like dreaming you were a falcon and waking with terrific shock to find stubby fingers and skin. None know whether their own lives began at conception or birth, but his start was certain. The moment when, borne down from heaven like a plummeting hawk, his body landed, his spirit landed in a body the size of a field mouse. How cramped it must have felt, squeezing the entire universe's origin into the confines of little ribs, the light of the world suspended in her darkness. And what of his knowledge? That wide mind that held every man and woman ever born, their stories, their laughter. What is it like, forgetting the everything you formed, to comprehend entering the world with nothing? Perhaps there was a half-remembered impression of how much heavier his body was now that it occupied pounds of flesh instead of spirit. And perhaps when he first cried, it wasn't the cutting chill of air on skin, but the funereal grief of forgetting, for a time, his father to claim a mother. One conceived like the rest of us, who, like every son of man, would happen upon the intersection of heaven and blood-stained dirt and cry in wonder. Merry Christmas. Do you remember what it was like to learn how to drive a car? I promise this is going to relate to Christmas at some point. Driving a car. Because when you first learn how to drive a car, you get into the you get into the seat and there's the wheel in front of you and there's the pedals on the floor and there's the shifter. God forbid it's a stick shift if you're learning how to drive a car on a stick shift. You're a better better person than I am, but you understand by the time you sit behind the wheel of a car, unless you're one of those people who learned when you were about eight years old, which some of us may be, what everything around you does, what the mirrors are for, what the pedals are for, what the wheels for, what all the gauges are for, what the shifters for. But when you're driving it down the road, all of those pieces of information that you have, you have to think really hard about with everyone that you do. Nothing comes natural. It's like, Oh, when I go to brake, i got to hit the brake pedal, but I can't hit it too hard or else I'm going to stop really fast. But if I hit it too soft, I'm not going to stop in time. And I'm not allowed to step on the brake pedal with my left foot. You know, I have to use my right foot for both things. And, uh, you know, I, I have to, whenever I need to change lanes, I have to look in, you know, the, I have to put my turn signal on. Don't forget that. And then I've got to look in my side mirror and my other side mirror and then the rear view mirror and then check my blind spot, then check my blind spot again, and then I can get over. You're learning how to drive a car. At some point in time, you're driving down the road and suddenly you realize, I know how to do this now. Do you ever get to that point in time where all of a sudden you're doing all these things naturally, just turn signal, you know, doing the one hand, you don't have your hands at 10 and 2 anymore, you're just cruising, changing lanes, checking your blind spot like a natural, and all of a sudden there's this realization, I know how to drive a car. When did this happen? The same thing happens with maybe learning how to play the guitar. The same thing happens with any sort of skill that there's a lot of information about, and maybe you understand theoretically how it works, but there's a point in time in which all of that information, all of that data that you have, just becomes something that you do. It's like an epiphany. I get it. I get this. You know, love is like that in some ways, too. I can pick on Jesse and Jesse Hyman because they're not here. So Jesse and Jesse both work for Scum of the Earth. 
They've known each other since they were little kids. In fact, if you didn't know this, girl Jesse was named after boy Jesse. Not, I'm not lying. You can ask them about that at some point in time. Their families knew each other, and they grew up knowing each other. And yet they went through their childhood, and they went through going to high school, and they went into college not dating, just being good friends, just really liking each other, really enjoying each other, really you know, liking a lot of things about the other person. They would drive to visit at the different colleges that they went to, and Jesse would talk to Jesse about boys, and Jesse would talk to Jesse about girls. And then one day Jesse kissed Jesse. All of a sudden, all this information that they had about each other, these things that they liked each other, that they appreciated about each other, that they knew, all of this information became something different. Became, holy crap, I'm in love with you. And that love has reaped the fruit of three children and one on the way and a happy household and lots of good things. They decided... That there was this, well, there was this epiphany moment of this is more than just information that I have. This is more than just knowledge that exists in my brain. This is something beyond that. This is something real. This is something tangible. It's something that makes the world shift. All of a sudden, you see things in a different light. And I think these types of experiences, whether they come with vehicles or music or love or any number of things, these type of experiences point us, are an indication of what happened at Christmas. On Christmas, we celebrate the day that God went from being conceptual to being something that we knew about, something that we could know of, someone we could know of, to being tangible. Christmas was an epiphany moment when God said, I am not only going to give you information about myself, I am going to come and I am going to live as one of you on this earth in a different way, in a way that makes you go, everything It's changed. I get it. There's something to grasp there. Jesus went from being something that we could know about or someone we could know about to someone we could know. And as the scripture said in John 1, if you would maybe rewind a little bit right now, right at the end of John 1. No, you were on it. The end, the end of John 1, chapter 18, or verse 18. I know, I know what it says. I don't know why I'm looking up there. <laughs> that no one has ever seen God, but Jesus, who is God himself, has made him known. Known in a different way, not an informational way. In an epiphany sort of way a this-changes-everything sort of way, that God has come and lived as one of us and we can have a relationship with him and we can know a heck of a lot more about him. But I'll tell you something. Him doing this was a tremendous risk. Have you ever stopped and thought about it? Have you ever thought about Jesus 
coming and being a human being, living in human flesh, with all the struggles, with all the difficulties, and in fact, with all the temptations that a human being is put through. Scripture says that Jesus was tempted in every way, but without sin. Now, here we are looking back 2,000 years on Jesus, and we know, hey, it's all all right, man. Jesus didn't sin. But if we can forget what we know for a second, which is good knowledge to have, and go back and put ourselves in the tension of the story, Jesus was tempted in every way. God himself, right, who is perfect, who is the creator of the universe, who is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, these are the inherent features of who he is, came down, put himself in a weak, fragile, tempted human body, and let himself go through all the temptations that humanity would go through. Think about it. If Jesus would have had one lustful thought, if Jesus would have had one prideful thought, if Jesus would have told one white lie, what would the implications of that be? We talk about, it's good that we talk about, how Jesus went to the cross, how he died for us, how he rose again, and the payment that he made on the cross and going through all the physical anguish of being on the cross and what a tremendous sacrifice that was. And it was a tremendous sacrifice. Jesus gave it all in terms of, in terms of his physical body, in terms of the torment that he had to suffer on the cross. But his mere coming and living in that weak, vulnerable flesh put his put everything at risk. Because if if an inherent characteristic, let's let's go through it, if an inherent characteristic of God is that he is good, and Jesus comes and gives into one little temptation, then what happens? Does the universe cease to exist? Does God himself become a contradiction in terms because a God who is good all of a sudden isn't good anymore? Tremendous risk. God put his own existence on the line by coming, by taking human form, and by living a life. Thank God that he lived a perfect life. But it was a very real risk for him to do this, for him to come and put that on the table, that he could become a contradiction in terms, that the universe as we know it could cease to exist because God risked his very existence, the very nature of who he was, in order that he might come and he might make it possible that we could be the sons and the daughters of God. He values us so much that he would risk himself in no uncertain terms to come here and redeem us. 
That's the story of Christmas. We can talk about babies and mangers and uh, swaddling cloths and, you know, all sorts of stories of, you know, the shepherds and this sort of stuff. And all of it's valuable. All of it's valuable. All of it's important. All of it gives us some insight into God living the human experience. The story of Christmas is a story of tremendous risk. I think sometimes we need to wake up to the reality of what God has done for us and say, what are the implications? If this is true, what are the implications of what God has done for us? And how can we live accordingly? I think we need to ask ourselves tonight, what risks we can take in light of this reality in light of this, what I hope is a eureka moment for you, as was for me, when I realized what God put on the line, what risks we can take with our physical health, with our money, with our time, with our plans, with our relationships, what risks we can take with our souls to align ourselves with the risk that Jesus took in Christmas? Think about it. A reading from the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. 
So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The stars in the bright sky look down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. And why would I care? Throughout 14 years of church school, you painted me an insipid picture of an inert baby whose sole distinction is when he wakes up, he doesn't cry. Why should I care about a saccharine snapshot of a bright-eyed baby with curly lashes smiling up at donkeys and lammies while twinkly stars sparkle over him like too much glitter dumped on a Sunday school project? What can that possibly mean to me? Fourteen years, and you never could bring that bright sky down to earth or make some connection between the rosy-cheeked kid in his Thomas Kincaid stable and the real world I lived in. Spare me the sugar and sweetness. I need substance. One link, just one, please, between the star on the tree and the snarl of thorns on the cross. But don't you tell me this diabetic, shock-inducing Anglo babe with glassy eyes shines any hope or light into my life. Get me out of that idyllic barn, smudge out the glitter stars, and put the smiling sheepies and piggies on hold for a minute. Show me why this birth matters. And it does. Tell me the reason why he was born, how he lived, and who he became. Don't bother me with his miraculous scent-free diapers, or how he, the baby, never cried. Give me the miracles that mattered like calling Lazarus back from the dead, or the time when he, the man, could have cried out, but instead, as a sheep before the shearers, he was silent. Take me through the whole story, to the connections you glossed over, and show me what his life meant, so I can care about his birth. You could have told me, Jesus, the baby would become Christ the sacrifice. Instead, you gave me a girl surrounded with funerals, some cherubic baby who lay on a bed of hay without sneezing, crying, or doing anything that mattered at all. What hope can a painted halo caricature give to a world in shambles and a heart in shreds? Tell me the whole story, how he died and rose to conquer the very death that surrounds me now. Take me to the hymns that show me Easter in Christmas Day. When I feel the sting of death again, tell me why it hasn't won. Why this baby's first and second births have changed everything. Tell me 
why the angels sang and why the shepherds listened and what Mary treasured in her heart. As I stand between one funeral and the next, take me to the words of life that I can cling to because unto us this child was born. <laughs> 